Welcome along to the Go Play Soccer podcast with host Manchester United Academy coach Tom Statham. At Go Play, our aim is to bring people together from all across the world to discuss the beautiful game. Tom Statham here and welcome to the second season of the Go Play Soccer podcast. This first episode was recorded during my under-14 academy tournament at Oakham School in early August 2021. And if you would like to find out more about the tournaments I run, please visit my website, www.specialistsoccertours.co.uk or have a look at the dozens of pictures we put onto Instagram at Specialist Soccer Tours. So after dinner on the first day of the tournament, I sat down to discuss player and coach development with two Scots and a fellow Englishman, Stephen Wright, who's head of academy at Dundee FC, Andrew Steves, position development coach with Dundee United, and Chris Sims, under-14 coach at Manchester United. I hope you enjoyed the discussion and uh, enjoy the new series of the Go Play Soccer podcast. So thanks for joining us, guys. And um, the first thing that we should talk about really is tournament play, because we're here at Oakham, the tournament that, that I run here at Oakham School, um, and we've got you know, various teams from Scotland and, and all over England. So, Stephen, for you, how important is it to have tournaments and tours as part of your academy programme? And are you enjoying the experience here at Oakham School? Yeah, it's massive for us at Dundee. I've been I'm fortunate. I've been a few times with my previous clubs, Dunfermline and Fife. We had a bit of the connection with yourself, Tom. It's always been an important part of our pre-season to come down. It's good for the players, good for the parents, actually, who make a weekend of it, um, or a, week, a few days of it, and also the coaches as well. And it's great to play against the top teams from south of the border. And luckily enough, I've got my neighbours as well from across the street in Dundee as well, joining us for this week. So it's, been, it's a massive thing for us. And I've not been for a few years, so really delighted to be back again. And Andy, have you found it from the, the other club from Dundee, from Dundee United. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been superb for us. I mean, we are we are very fortunate to, to be down here and, and we're very fortunate to be in fantastic facilities with, with fantastic opposition. Um, when you travel seven hours on a bus to play a team that's probably 300 steps from your front door, but um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been brilliant to get ex- the, the boys exposed to Premier League teams in England and Championship teams in England because that's the aspiration for boys is, is to go and play at the, the level of club that, that we're playing against today. And Chris, I know Manchester United have been to quite a few of my tournaments, but this is your first time here. Um, I know you've been on trips and, and tournaments abroad. How does this compare to some of the other experiences you've had with Manchester United? Yeah, it's got a nice feel to it. Obviously, it's day one today and we've had a couple of games and I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. Um, tough ask for all the players, four games. But I think it builds resilience. And same for us as well. We get a chance to play a couple of teams from Scotland, which we would never get the chance to do. It's different experiences for the boys, different challenges for them. And we're looking forward to it, really. And have you found the facilities? Have you been pleased with the, the yeah, facilities? Yeah, the pitches are, are, pitches are really, really good. I was, I was surprised, actually, they didn't be that good. Um, the food's great. All the kids are having a good time. And it's organised really, really well. You know, we're straight into the food, straight out. You can give us a tenner later, Tom, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's always, there's no waiting about. We're in and out and everything's running like clockwork at the moment. Fantastic. So... Looking at the players now, you know, experiences like this, what are you hoping to gain 
um, for your for your young players by having this sort of tournament experience? Even? Just an experience and exposure to play against boys who are similar of age to the guys who are up in Scotland who don't get that opportunity very often. Um, you know, and it's, it's, I've been down a few times where it's just been a festival type, um, whereas this year it's been tournament and it's slightly more of a weekend of edge to it, which I'm looking forward to. Um, but the festival was always really well run and laid back, which I like personally. So, you know, coaches were laid back, the parents were laid back. Obviously, there's no parents this year because of COVID, but um, and it's good to see the styles of the coaching, good to see the styles of the players and how they play because we don't get that exposure north of the border. So it's really good for us. So, Andy, what have you already seen from some of the English coaches maybe that that you, you might take back or you, you might copy or you might actually think, well, that's we, we're happy with the way we do things in Scotland. Have you picked up anything so far? Um, just through the, the actual summer of festivals that we've had, we've been very fortunate to to be down at Man United um, last Wednesday and this Wednesday, coming with a couple of age groups and being at Liverpool as well. And you kind of find out that the identity of club kind of actually then suits the type of coaching that they receive. Do you know what I mean? Some some big clubs, or, or sorry, that's not the right word, but some clubs have a very, coaches are on the sideline. It's small nuggets of information. It's very relaxed. Sometimes they actually sit down and watch the game. Other times, similar sized clubs, they'll be up on the touchline and they'll be kicking every ball and joysticking. So, I think it's very much just the identity of the coach and the identity of the club that dictates that. Um, us at Dundee United, we'd, we're quite fortunate to have coaches with a number of different styles and whatever we feel works for that coach, as long as they're developing the players, we just encourage them to go with it. I don't feel we should probably set a, a you need to be like this or you need to be like that. If the coach develops players and their style, then, then feel free to go and do what you want. And how would you personally approach a game day or... or- you know, like today you've played a couple of games, but what would your approach be to a game or a tournament? Um, we have quite a high high importance on individual development within within Dundee United. So we do sort of try and take away the 100% team focus on a match day. We try and have individual objectives for the players, individual chats with the players as well as the main team talk. Um, obviously in Scotland, as Stephen's touched on, we, we only have a group of maybe... 10 academies, 11 academies that you regularly play against. So you do sort of, you need to give the players different challenges and different sort of objectives for the game, whereas as tournament play is totally different here. I mean, we love the fact that we've come down and and from the first minute, the first minute of a 40-minute game, if you want to, to finish in that top four, that there's a slightly different challenge for the players. They have to be ready and willing to compete from that first minute. So that's the slight difference between potentially a league game up in Scotland and the tournament here. And I think the fact that the players are receiving that challenge and that pressure is, is brilliant for them and great for their learning. And Stephen, in Scotland, do teams play with different styles or is it quite similar the way that you know, the way that Dundee will play? Is that similar to the way that St. Johnson would play or Kilmarnock would play or does each individual club um, have a different way? Um, it's a good question, actually, Tom. I don't know what the answer is. Um, as Andy said, there's you know certain clubs have got their own identity and how they'll play. Some some will be from maybe sort of first teams down, and you'll see similar trends to to what first teams play to academies. Certainly at Dundee, it's actually interesting just talking about we're talking about tournament football. I've because I've been down here and it's been a festival before. When I was watching the games today at Sevens the tournament out of my head and I was just watching games of football and it wasn't until 
somebody brought the little table tonight and I thought, oh yeah, it's a tournament. So in terms of the feel, it's probably a similar to feel that I had you know, a few years ago when I was speaking to you about being a festival, which I quite like. But telling the boys, the boys might have a different feel for it. You know, obviously they did play against Dundee United. They wanted to beat them because they're at school with them. Man United, what an experience to play against Man United. Dundee Academy, you know, we never got that opportunity to do that. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting because you were here when I first started doing this at Oak, maybe like seven years ago, and it was a festival and we didn't take the scores in. And the reason that we've gone more to a tournament was because I think that the kids, more than anything, just wanted that little bit of an edge. It was really, it really hyped it up for the kids. I think the coat, what, but what I wanted to do by adding that tournament element was still keep it really relaxed and really emphasise play development and coach development. And hopefully, I mean, the feedback that you give them there has been, I'm really pleased about because I think it's, I didn't want to go from a festival where scores didn't count to it being very, very serious and, and people, you know, shouting and screaming and getting angry. And so I, I, I don't think it is that. I think it is a nice blend between pre-season where people want to give kids games and, and just get the season started and often new coaches working with new players. So there's that element of pre-season to it. But the fact that there is a bit of a league table just gives it a, a slight bit of edge, um, but it doesn't take away from the development, hopefully. Yeah, I think it's, it goes to show the styles in England compared to Scotland for me. For me, playing games in Scotland, everybody's kind of wound up. Mm. You know, players wound up. Obviously, players want to win games. With me playing against the United up the road, coaches are wound up. Every Parents are wound up. Even today, I thought, it was fairly relaxed at sidelines and I was actually kind of watching how it was. But when United scored, it was it was the, the best feeling ever for United <laughs> score, which you will never be able to take that away from the players. Yeah. But it's almost as if we're in this environment and we're, we're kind of accepting this is how they do it down south. And I really like that feel that United coaches, I mean, everybody's different, but they're, they're all fairly laid back and it's all about the player. It's all about what they do. And the Manchester United coaches and then I would say all the coaches yeah. all the all the squads and you touched on joystick coaches at times yeah. I think sometimes up the road and I'm not saying everybody but coaches have got a tendency to shout a lot and give so much information whereas when I come down here it's they don't shout and just let the players go on with it which what, what do you think about that Chris do you think that's that's right yeah I think it's, it's uh that club has been a mantra for a long time as you know Tom it's um you know, you give players certain bits of information. But once they're playing the game out there, they, they don't want to listen to the coach shouting and screaming all the time and tell them playing the game for them. You know, you just want to try and train as a certain environment where the kids are comfortable. When it comes to match day, they're comfortable playing as well. So that's been our thing for a long time, as you know, you're at the club. Um, and I've seen it um, in other clubs now develop, obviously, in the games programme in England. Um, I don't really know much about the Scottish lads, but it's the first time I've seen you down there. Um, but, you know, I've not heard you know, all the screaming and shouting. I just just let the players play. That's what I've, what I've seen. I think it's really good. I think you know that's what the players want to do. They just want to play. They don't want to get. If you can help them with little bits of information, yeah, of course, what's what help them. But you know some of the things we've seen in the past, what we've been privy to, and coaches screaming, running on the pitch when a team scores a goal, jumping in the air, and all this kind of stuff. It's it's crazy. Do you get sort of directors from the top that this is how we want our coaches to behave? There's a certain manner in the sidelines of how we want to behave. Yeah, when when I first joined the club and um, Toddy Whelan was kind of my mentor at the time, and he says, there's how we do things here and you have a six-month induction where you go around all the age groups and you look at all the coaches' works, you don't do any coaching. 
you look at all the coaches at Rage Group, how they work, you go and study with the coaches, you sit with them, you talk to them. That's from, from nines upwards all the way through the groups. Um, the game's program comes along. It's not about the trial, win the game, we try to obtain the result, but it's not the be all and end all. You know, you have to, when you get to the first team, you have to win games, obviously. Mm-hmm. So um, the mantra was very much let the players play, give them bits of information. We'll let them play. You know. See, just on you say that the did you say it was a six month sort of period? Yeah, six month reduction, right? Yeah. So, like, see there, will you sort of go and find coaches that are fully qualified badges and and make them and sort of not make them, but allow them to go through that process? Or will you find little gems that you think possibly ex academy players or and just maybe even take them through their their badges at that point and mentor them through that? Or do you make coaches that are fully qualified, maybe even been coaching for X amount of years in another academy just to get your way and your style across? There's, there's been little bits of both and there's been more and more experts going back to the club recently. You know, Mickey Bolton, Fletcher, and all the people who've come back to the club recently. Um, but when we first came in, so you had to have your minimum of your B licence when, when you come into an academy. And what they did, the induction involved, so I was, the first job I got was working with the 13s and 14s. I had to go down the cliff, even though I was based at Carrington, mm-hmm. and go and work with the nines coach. Mm-hmm. He'd obviously been there a few years and yeah. watch with the nines coach, dude. Watch how he got on with his players, watch his style of coaching, have a week with him. Then the next week, I have a week with him, the tens coach. Yeah. And then the 11s and the 12s, so you go. So for, for over a period of six months, you didn't do any coaching, you watch, you observe, you learn, and you learn what they said was the manual, manual idea yeah. of coaching mm-hmm. at them various age groups. In case one day you might be saying, I'm not working with the 30s, and say, right, you're going working with the 11s today, or you're going working with the 14s today. Yeah. So you, you just kind of felt your way around the building, felt felt your way into what the coaches were doing, how the mm. players were, how the, how the building was, because it's a it's quite a scary building going in there the first time, you know, with, yeah. with who you see about with some of the coaches who are there and stuff. So it was quite it was quite intimidating. Um so I think that was a real good way of settling you down. You don't coach, you watch, you observe, you watch, you observe, you learn, watch, you observe, learn, and then you get your group and mm-hmm. you know, then, then you're away. So that's huge. I, just, I, just, I really like that idea. Um, I just think that like, your club identity is then ingrained in them by the mm-hmm. time that they start. They, they understand the expectations, you've managed their expectations, and mm-hmm. I think getting your club's philosophy and your style across, I think that's, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I, I was lucky to go to Benfica a few years ago and they have a you know, a real identity that you you know you can see the players the way they, they, they go about the, the pitch and but the coaching style at each level was different which I took away from it some were animated some were quiet some were shouters and I asked one of the lads you know the question I asked you do they have sort of does it come anything, anything come from the top where this is how we want you to be in the sidelines he says no we want the players if they get all the way to have experienced every type of coaching team so it could be whatever it could be. So by the time we get to the top, I've experienced it all rather than just this is the way that we're, we're going to be. So I, I found that quite interesting. I'm kind of fascinated with, with the touchline and watch, especially academy football. First team level, it's fine. You need to win games. But academy level, it's always interesting when it's player development, just how interaction is with the players and, and bits of nugget, you know, pieces of nugget. That's a great way of the interaction because obviously... Every player is different and every player reacts to a different type of coaching. You know, some some players need a softly spoken coach who can, you know, get them and someone needs a bit of a rocket to get them going. So I think the environment and the interaction, getting to know the player, 
mm. I think it's a massive point. That, that is player development and against an older player and uh, knowing how you can get the best out of them. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things as well is that when you got two, usually you have two people working together with mm. an age group. Um, and I think that's really key that you, you get two different types of person. So you don't have the same people and, you, know, you might have someone, like you said, Chris, some kids need that arm around them and that personal attention. Some kids need a bit more of a rocket. Mm-hmm. So if you've got um, one coach that is is good at one and one's mm-hmm. good at the other, then that's a perfect combination, really. And you might have one that's really serious and quite intense and another one that's quite laid back and jokey. Is that something, Stephen, as sort of head of the youth at Dundee, do you take that into consideration when you're looking at who you're going to put together for your different groups? Yeah, I mean... We don't have the luxury of obviously um amount of qualified coaches in the area we've got and the finance of some clubs. Ideally, I would like to have you know, you're you're looking for interaction between coaches and players, but the interaction between both coaches as well and who can feed off each other. And you know, if I'm working with Andy, you know, um I'm I'm helping him and he's helping me at the same time. And you know, that was a good spot and that was good, you know. So I've worked with experienced guys before and I've enjoyed that and I've worked with really inexperienced guys as well. So I would like to have sort of not similar, but, you know, either older or maybe younger so you can maybe help educate as well. Um, so I've always, if I had the luxury to do that, I would like to have maybe someone, you know, two guys, but completely different um, spectrums. And that's sort of what I've been doing the last few years at United. I've been the old guy and new younger coaches come in this sort of you know often they'll put them with me and I'll start off where I'll lead and they'll be alongside me and then as soon as they're able then I'll start giving that responsibility to them and hopefully then I'll just become the guy in the background and then they lead it and then by that time they get me someone else and I do that with someone else and I think I, I love doing that because obviously that there was a time when I was a young coach where I wanted to be that guy and I wanted to have my team and you know you're looking forward to the match day whereas now I've been doing it for so long that I actually like to watch the the guys develop and there's you know a few of the lads in the foundation phase well pretty much most of them then I've had that relationship with and it's really great to see them just as you see the players develop and go on and play in professional football it's great to see now a lot of a lot of the guys that came in like Chris said they've got the UA for B but not much experience and you know, I, I helped them settle into the club and now they're really, they're full-time, a lot of them, a lot of them full-time jobs and they're doing brilliantly. So that's really rewarding as well. You also find with the ex-players coming in, if you're, if you're a coach and you've maybe never played the game, but you're an experienced coach and you see someone coming in who's played the 500 first-team games, the coach is thinking, you know, I'm out of depth here because <laughs> this guy's played. But then really, they suddenly realise that, that ex-player actually needs this guy because the experience that he's got standing on the touchline dealing with yeah. 16, 12-year-olds, this guy's never dealt with that before, this ex-player. So I think learning from, and I've found that the ex-players I've brought into my academy is just these ex-players are desperate to learn mm-hmm. off of the older guys that are here and then we can tap into their knowledge and, and these are the guys that have got the nuggets to, to actually see the detail that you're giving to the players because um, it takes different types of characters to actually, Take a, take a so, so key having that sort of, I think that's a great point you made. I mean, you need to have that e- like egolessness. Like you need to have that ability to be a coach and, and and possibly understand that mentorship of other coaches is is so key. Because if you don't and you have that ego and you're very protective of of like 
of, of your info and your detail and your coaching sessions you're not willing to share, then you're actually not contributing to the academy at all, apart from the small pocket of people you're working with. You probably need to be willing to go, here's everything I've got, what do you want to know? Kind of thing. And I think that's so key to develop coaches as well, because better coaches, better players. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. simple. Again, I was lucky that Tony Whelan was mentioned by Chris a minute ago. And so, you know, I've known Tony for all the time, but United 20, 20 odd years. So, he, there was him and there was lots of other figures at the club, Eric Harrison, Jimmy Ryan, Paul McGuinness, all these people that Brian Kidd, who was so um, entrenched in the history of Manchester United. And, and I was able as a young coach to learn from them. And it was always about the club. So you, you're working for the best interest of the club and the best interest of the kid. Mm-hmm. And that's why it frustrates me sometimes where you can plainly see that someone is just working for themselves. Mm-hmm. and they're making decisions or they're acting in a way that promotes them um, and it doesn't do the club any favours and it's not helping the kids. And I think that's the key to, to being successful really. And this is that, you know, you've got that, that dual role of certain things you need to do because it's the best thing for the club and other things you need to do because you've got to look after that kid and, and you know, as a young child and you've got to make sure you nurture him as a, as a boy as well as a football player. But really, there's never a time when you should be choosing to do something because it benefits you and not the other two. And I think that that was something that was drummed into me really early. You, you guys are lucky because the, the sort of line you guys have had since way back, and mm. it's always about the academy way and the, and, and the youth players that have produced over the vast number of years. So, um, you know, guys are very lucky to have that. So it's, when you're coming in, you're actually working for Man United. And this is how you do it at Man United. Yeah, and there was that stability over a long period of time. So say I started in 1994. So until Sir Alex Ferguson left 20 years later, it was very much Alex Ferguson's club, Chris, and it was everything was done a certain way and it, it filtered down. And obviously when someone like that leaves, then there are changes, but there's that real, really strong sense of, of identity and, and culture um, from people that have, gone back into that time but now you've got newer people coming in you've got quite a, a lot of new members of staff but you need that because you, you've got to combine that freshness with the the traditional as well and it's like any good first team really you want old experienced players that that know how to play but then you need new ideas and, and I think that's what Alex Ferguson was brilliant at himself because he had um, people like Archie Knox originally and and then Brian Kidd and, but then when Brian Kidd left, he brought in Steve McLaren, who was really young at the time, and he brought innovators in. So although he was the figurehead still and he was still in charge, but he brought in different ideas and he brought in, obviously, Carlos Quiros, Rennie Moulinstein and, and people like that. So I think you've got to try and keep that stability, but keep having fresh ideas. How aware are the players? Like, obviously, you've said you've you've seen, a, obviously, a change, like with Sarah Ferguson, were the players fully aware of the identity of the club? Like when, when they came into Man United, like this is the Man United way and all these sorts of things. Like, are the players well aware of that identity, or is that more the coaches that that are need to be made aware of that and then feed it into the players? Or see when the players come into the club, do you tell them, look, this is a United way? Please for Anna. Yeah, um, a lot of the kids when they come in, they get homework tasks. Yeah. And they come back in and they might have to write a piece about Munich. Uh, they had um, uh, one not recently where the, the under 12s did. Um, on the first black player to play for United, they did a brilliant, um, it was like a museum. They had a room all kitted out, everything about him, everything about his family. They got his boots sent in from a museum. It was brilliant. 
And then, you know, the first team players came across and watched and they did the presentation these under 12. It was absolutely amazing. So they they understand the club. Um, if you went out today and spoke to our 14s and said, tell me something about the Munich that's for something that they'd be able to tell you. So the um it's good. It's 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 definitely they, they need to know the history and the traditions of the club. Yeah. Has it, it changed since obviously Sir Alex left and then obviously there's been quite a number of managers? Have you felt any sort of difference in terms of academy? Not really in the feel? academy, no, because I'm not saying the academy's out and so on. It's not. It's obviously a massive part of the club. But the academy has kind of stayed traditional in the way that the oranges of the club are taught to the kids that they know. And it wouldn't matter who was in charge of that. Um, they'd have to do, you know, they'd have mm. to encourage the kids to learn about the history of the club, the traditions of the club. Um, that, that, that even the coaches would say if, if the manager, if a new academy manager came in and said, you know, he wasn't interested in that, the coaches would tell them, so they still get moments to go and do it. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of the coaches are United supporters, actually United players, um, and the values and the tra- traditions of the club are the, the, the top yeah, of the scale. Yeah. Um, now, that, that, that's been fantastic to, to discuss that difference between some of our cultures um but let's go back now to to when we were kids because you know i'm i'm getting pretty old um i remember back when we just used to go out and play and things like that and and there there was that culture of playing in the streets playing in the parks which is different from today um how do you go about that challenge of trying to replicate park football street football because the volume of football that that certainly my generation and the generations before played was huge and it's just not possible anymore. So, and there's and there are so many other competing influences as well. So how do you go about that in your, in your roles in, in Scotland? Let's say, let's start with that. Um, well, first thing is, is it's, I totally agree. I like coming from a generation where street football and all that was, was very much part of the daily life. And you come home from school, if you don't have training on at night, you're probably dribbling the football all the way up to the park and playing and then dribbling all the way back. So, the fact that that's not there is 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 you have to sort of um, adapt and thrive. So a lot of the boys talk about the Xbox and stuff like that, and the, how they play on the PlayStation. They obviously play FIFA. They're they're huge. They love football. So how can you integrate that technology into their education? So for example, a number of kids will do say, oh, beat so and so on FIFA last night, and I did this skill. And it's like, right, here's a size three ball. Go and do it. Um, because if you don't engage them on that then your, your relationship's probably going to be like, you should have been out playing football instead of being on your Xbox, but that's just not kids anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's not the way that they are. It's not the generation that's coming through. So um, we do need to sort of allow that, the kids to teach us and allow, how can we then integrate their lifestyle into to making them better football players? But street football and is, is a big part of probably our curriculum. We have a lot of 1v1s, just battling 1v1s, 1v1 domination. We allow street football players to try and thrive within our our style and our culture. We allow them to go and play um, but then just try and drip feed little bits of tactical information and if need be, but if dribblers are dribblers, we we despise the word take less touches. Like The dribblers are going to have to find themselves. They're going to have to be able to outplay players. So we do wish that there was obviously still the, the red ash pitches in Glasgow where like Scottish cult figures have come through playing on the red ash pitches and they says the reason I never the reason I didn't fall over is because I didn't want to get burned so I had to <laughs> learn to stay on my feet kind of thing we don't have that anymore so we do need to find new ways to create sort of street football players because those are the ones that 
the, the fans want to pay money and they want to get off their seat watching dribblers and wide players. So it is up to us as coaches. It's our job. We get paid to try and create them. So we do need to try and find a way. And we think we're onto something, but we will never know the answer until until four, five, six years down the line at the end of this. So it's tough when you've only got them for three nights. You know, generally we have the boys for three nights. Maybe if you're lucky, you've got two hours with them. So six hours a week. There's no way you can recreate that street football and you know, we we try and play football a lot in training. You know, not I'm not big I'm not big in you know the coaches are not big on drills and marker to marker. Um, and it's trying to just replicate games and then obviously trying to spot the little nuggets and coach within the game. But we're, we're lucky we've now got a, we're going to start our own school soon. United have had it for a, almost a year now, where we're actually now getting more contact time with the boys. So it's, it's maybe going to get up to about 10 or 11 sessions um, a week for, for certain age groups. So that that would be massive just to actually, you need to spend time because, it, because we don't have street football. Everything that the boys do now, girls do now, is organised mm-hmm. by coaches and yeah. It's all structured, mm-hmm. isn't it? So, um, if you if you can spend more time with them, then you can at times just just let them go. It's just go and play, um, and we like to do that at training. Sometimes is actually just stand stand back and just just go and let them play. Referee the game themselves, their own rules. But it's getting the balance with everything else you've got to try and fit in, as you said, tactical and you know the corners that you try and hit but I don't think we'll ever get back to that Tom as a street football What do you think Chris because we, we work in different areas because I'm I'm at the cliff with the little ones where it is lots of free play and and it is pretty loose yeah. um, you know how much of that then gets passed on at Carrington with the older kids Well interesting talking about um, the, the street football um, it's really exciting when a trailer comes in and can dribble I really enjoy that. You know, you never want to say dribbling another game because obviously the way the game is now, people dropping deep. If you've got someone who can beat a man, mm-hmm. the game can open up. So obviously we're quite lucky with, with facilities that we have. We have the cage, which is a um, caged area in in Carrington where the ball doesn't go out of play. So it has like ice hockey boards on the bottom mm-hmm. and the ball just never stops. Yeah. So we can, we'll never get street football, but we can replicate where the ball never goes out of play. Yeah. You never stop, you just go and go and go. Next to that, we've actually got a plate. It doesn't really get used often, but we've got mm. a playground. Time at playground, like to create the schoolyard mm. and the training facility. Yeah, right. so we so we're quite obviously very lucky, um, but we have them where we can, if we want to, create some kind of scene scenario coaching. Maybe eight v seven. If one of your mates doesn't turn up, and you know you yeah. you you lads there, you're not allowed to pass you have to dribble. Just to, you know, just try and create something. Um, but as you say, it is, it is difficult, and I, I agree, yeah, it's to get that volume of football where you played at school, you left school, you went home, you had your tea, and then you stayed out till 10 o'clock at night, and you did that every day in the cycle. Then you played for your school team on a Saturday, then you might have had a boys' club on a Sunday, and then you did it again, mm-hmm. and then you did it again week after week, month after month after month. I, I, I don't think we're ever going to get back to that. Um, what was interesting, I had one of the earlier podcasts I had, Nemanja Matic, was, was on, and I said to him, so... When you finished school, did you get home, drop off your school bags, have something to eat, and then you were straight out playing? He said, I didn't even go home. Yeah. Just went yeah. straight from school and out. And and that's, you know, he's he's playing. He's in mid-30s, he's playing. But that that shows you the sort of level of dedication, really, and the time, the volume of football that's required to reach that level. And I think that's the, that's the dilemma that you were saying, Stephen, is you've only gotten for so long. 
So how do you make the most of that time? But then I think part of it is how do you inspire them and how do you sort of help to drive them on so that they're not with you? Then they are going and finding a wall to kick up against, or they are saying to the dad, come on, let's get out on the field and do this and that, or their brothers and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's key in the number of players that do come through that have got older brothers as well. He's, yeah. he's really marked. And I, I don't know if that's yeah. something that you We've had a number of, of a number of siblings that are, that are within our academy, older and younger. We've actually got um, one of them was playing on our first team, Chris Mockery, who's a fantastically gifted football player. He was our youngest ever player at 16 years and 27 days, like tremendous football player. Um, and his younger brother's in our academy as well. And he's, he's a, is, is equally as talented a football player. However, they're two totally different styles of player. Whereas Chris always excelled and always played a year above himself and hit first team at 16, whereas Andy actually was going through a totally different journey. For a period of time, he was undersized. He ended up playing down and all of a sudden there's a comparison between the two, but they're just on totally different journeys. And Chris was really good with Andy. He says, look, don't, you're not compared to me. You're a totally different style of player. And I think the fact that they do have each other, Chris has gone through the journey, can can almost coach Andy through it. And we've, we've got two other sets of brothers within the academy that are, that are doing similar things. So it is funny. And I'm really fortunate to have an older brother myself. And sometimes you always feel the younger brother because they've had to protect the ball from the older brother in the garden. They mm-hmm. actually end up becoming a, a twisty, turny type of yeah. football player. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. you can't keep the ball off the And also road, because so. they've had to compete with their older brother and their friends, then they learn how to check the shoulder and get be aware because they don't want to get clattered by a big guy. Um, so that then receive it. They've got to move the ball into space. Mm-hmm. They can't have the first touch under the under the body because they'll again they'll get knocked off the ball. Yeah. They learn how to get on the ball because otherwise they never get a kick of the ball if they're playing with older siblings. So naturally they just they just learn how to get a kick of the ball. Next thing they're getting all the movements right to receive and but that's never coached as well. Never coached. They've never coached they just they they they, they problem solve as kids. Mm-hmm. That's what we've gone but right back to the first conversation we had. If a kid does something wrong, how eager are coaches to go and show that they can coach that kid? Yeah. Is allowing just to go, right, let's see if he does it a second time and does he learn on the third and the fourth time? Do you know what I mean? And it's it's so true that, that, that it's brilliant. Playing five aside, your older brother's 18, you're 14. You'll become a better player by just going and playing that five aside game. Absolutely. So how easy is it for for academies these days when you've got great facilities and you've got budgets and you've got lots of coaches and you've got analysts and medical people, sports scientists, how easy is it to, to get that early professionalism, you know, is, is to introduce it too early. Um, and is that something that you're aware of as well? Get too much, don't you? Too much too early. I mean, the kid just came in tonight and he'd, he said he'd hurt his ankle and he wanted a bag of ice. He's t- nine-year-old, ten-year-old, and I said to the physio, I said, I didn't know what a bag of ice was. <laughs> I was 18. So they, they get so much, you know, the physio's, listen, I'm not knocking it because it's, you know, it's vital, but um, they just get so much. They get, they get so much coaching, and I've probably, I've probably learned more since I've stopped playing about the game than I did when I actually played the game. And speaking to a few ex-players as well from back in a generation, and that's not a slur on you know, the coaches at my time, but just probably the amount of information we're now exposed to and what we can read and what we can what we can view um, is we're then obviously giving it to the players so I just think there's, there's so much there's so, listen, there's so much that is good but at the same time I think sometimes it can just be too much 
and, and as coaches, we try and just give them too much. Yeah, is it a rush? That's what I'm saying. Is there's almost like this rush to make a nine and ten year old kid into a first team player? Yeah, well, if you, if you look now, the the kid, so many people have access to him. Yeah. Physics, sports scientists, analysts, coaches, parents, <laughs> you know, teachers, all telling him maybe different things. You should be there. What about this? What about this? so? So, so many people have access to the kid now. Um, I think it's quite dangerous. Um, so you. You know, you just got to be a little bit wary of what goes on with them. Yeah, it's a, we we were quite fortunate that within the school program that we run at Dundee United, we we do have a lot of contact time with the kids. And when we first started the program, we were very much regimented, and this is technical stations day, this is individual development plan day, this is this, this is this, and then all of a sudden you actually get to a stage where you go, do you know what? Today is possibly going to the gym hall, get the crash mats out do overhead kicks into the mm. futsal goals or play head tennis or just every so often just allowing the kid to be a kid mm. and just completely right do you know what forget about the structure allow them to go do their own thing and enjoy their time yeah. with their peers I think is also well, so key I always say my number one role as a coach is to nurture the love of the game yeah so it doesn't matter what information you give or what you do with the kids and what practice you do if you're damaging their love of the game then you, you're failing in your job really because the, the kids, especially at a young age, but even first team players now, then they've got to have a love of the game. It's got to sustain you because football's a tough world and you're going to have knockbacks, you're going to have difficult situations. And if you face them and you've got this thing inside you that just drives you on because you absolutely love playing football and it's the best thing in your life, then you'll get through those difficult times. Whereas actually, if from a young age, you've had someone shouting and screaming at you, telling you to get rid of it, telling you to pass it, having a go at it if you made a mistake then your love of the game just gets decayed and, and affected. So when you do get a difficult time, then you think, oh, I can't do this. And, and people give up. And I think that's, again, this over-professionalization of, of kids' football or the adultification of kids' football. Mm-hmm. And you talked earlier, Stephen, about structure, you know, having all this structure. Sometimes I think that, that that can really affect that love of the game. So that by the time a kid gets to sort of 15, 16, when they are looking to get a job, they've had maybe a 10 years of football being serious and, and, and it's like, Oh, can I really be bothered with this? Mm-hmm. And there's other things come in. So I think that's something that academies have got to be really, really yeah, aware of. We try and encourage it because the parents will come and ask, you know, can they do badminton? Can they do this? Can yeah. Play schools football. We say just do as much as you can. Yeah. Because you said if you put so much into that football basket that it doesn't happen when you get to 17s and there's a big void because I've just missed out so much. So they've got to try and do all sorts of multi-sports as they can and and just be active and just, and as you said, for the love of the game. And, you know, I'm going to ask you guys as well, you must see young players coming in at Man United at a really young age and say, he just loves, he just loves it. You can tell he just loves the ball. And, you know, I'd be interested to see, does, are the ones that actually, do these go all the way? The ones that actually just... I think the common theme with a lot of the players that have come through that I've seen from little kids come through to the first team or go on and have successful careers is, is that love of the game, but they just, they're, they're consumed by it and they've got a, a determination that this is what they want to do. Can you tell that at a really young age, at your, your level? Well, it's almost like you, you see now the players that are up there and you try and look at common threads. So you look back at certain players and think, actually, when, when that lad was 10 years old, he had these qualities mm-hmm. where all he wanted to do was play football. 
you know, and, and he, he wasn't in, he just want to turn up, play, and that was it. So I think that attitude and that drive and that determination is really, really important. In terms of being at Man United, you I'm guessing you win more games <laughs> than you lose in academies. I don't know how you do it, but you know, I'm interested in that as well. Is if if you if you if you're in a team as a young academy player and you win a lot and you win and you win and you win. You're talking about building up resilience when you get to a certain level when you start losing games and you don't really know how to lose games. And I don't think at the very young age we don't win all the games at all because the way that we play, because a lot of the teams that we play against are very structured. So they will from you know pre-academy eight, you know, seven, eight-year-old, they'll run them as teams. And mm-hmm. so they're very structured and they are like mini first teams. So they'll warm up like the first team. And they'll set up like the first team and they'll score a goal from a corner. And the uh, the coach will say, oh, you know, fantastic. We worked on that. And you think, why are you working on set pieces? So we play very risky football. We play loose with them. We don't do any tactical work with the young players at all. So we go in with a massive disadvantage, really. So we do lose a lot of games. We can see a lot of stupid goals because we play high risk football. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's not it. the case. That's it. Uh, we've... We we also like we we totally agree that success sometimes on a weekend should totally based on did they play in our style and did they play in our identity and did they try and do it and did they do it well and that should be the feedback as opposed to what was the score, what was the score? and it's difficult because you you do need as you say there's so many touch points for the kids nowadays parents teachers friends coaches all these sort of things you do probably need everybody to actually buy into that. Did they play in their style as a as a young man and as a young player? Did they play in the club style and identity as well? And did that's they enjoy where the game? Did, did they, they enjoy, enjoy the game? That's where the feedback should come from. So, but uh, no, I totally agree with you um, on, on that point. And if everyone buys in, I do think that's when you're on to a winner. So, looking back at your early days coaching, guys. So I know, like Chris, you mentioned Tony Whelan. Certainly, Tony Whelan was a big mentor of mine, um, and I was really lucky to have just strong characters and, and brilliant people to learn from when I was a young coach. What about, you know, you guys in in Scotland, you know, as a young coach, Andy, who did you learn from? So I was um, I was really fortunate. So I made it all the way up. I came through pre-academy through to fringes of the first team at St. Johnston and had limited first team experience, but was never a first team player. I just trained and, and was on the bench and parts of squads and all these sorts of things. And at that point, um, Callum Davidson, the current St. Johnston first team manager, played at Blackburn, Leicester, um, down in the Premier League. He was uh, had an instant connection with him and he became a mentor of mine. Um, would always talk me through games, would always talk me through his side of things and how I could improve and stuff like that. And I always felt that his infectious enthusiasm just for the game of football and to improve people I thought I would really want to have that impact on young players as well. So kind of went into coaching at about 2021. Um, and when you go in at 2021, it's such a, you look back now and you're just like, my content was horrendous. Like you think you can go in and take a 14s team, put them through passing drills, put them through this. And you're like, right, I can make them a player by doing that, not realizing the actual process, but no, Callum Davidson was a, was a huge impact on me and, I'm really pleased that he's gone on and had the success that he's had with St. Johnson, obviously winning a cup double and what are we now Tuesday in two days time he plays Galatasaray in a Europa League qualifier so 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 pleased for him but that was a, a huge mentor of mine and um, I really hope that one day possibly that could be a story for a young coach that I might have had that on them as well so What about you Stephen who were your big influences? Well I was 
I had a good manager in Alex Smith, who's actually, you know, he, he maybe he had the coaching schools years and years ago down at Larks. Was Alex Ferguson was one of them. Alex Smith was what he was kind of nicknamed the Godfather of Scottish football. So I, he was my manager as a young player at Aberdeen, and then he was my manager again when I finished with my last club, which I wouldn't say who my last club was. Um, <laughs> he was a manager at Dundee United when I retired, and he'd said to me to go and do your badges while you're still playing. And I had to retire early when I was 31. But the best thing I did then was I went to work in a community programme at Rangers. So I went from first team changing room to dealing with five-year-olds and four-year-olds. And I mean, it's not even football because you're only babysitting, but you're babysitting to organise 20 kids, boys and girls running about and all the games that you've done in, in the past. And you're making mistakes. You know, you, you're trying to do things and you're... I mean, there's another three boys coming, there's two girls coming, but that's, I've only planned for 16. <laughs> I got to deal with 21 and then you're thinking on your feet quick and you can make as many mistakes as you want because you're dealing with four and five-year-olds. And then I kind of built my way up through the academy at Rangers, 13s, 14s, 15s. Um, and I enjoyed that. I actually enjoy working with the younger ones. I had a taste of first-team football as a coach at Dunfermline in the early 2010-11. And I thought, Nah, I prefer to go right back just to work with younger ones. And it was probably the best thing I did because I don't think I could have gone from a changing room as a player to a changing room as a as a senior coach. Mm -hmm. My personality, I just don't think I'd be able to do that. So that for me was the best pathway. And Chris, if you could look back now and, and give some advice to the young Chris Sims who was doing that six-month uh, probationary period at Man United what would you say to him what would what advice would you give to to yourself starting out I'd just say to, to just make sure I was always open open to the coaches open open to the kids always engage with the kids listen to what they like what do they enjoy it's their game it's not my game um, as you said when you first start for coaching you, you're trying to do everything I'll do that I'll set the team up I'll, put the, I'll get the tactics I'll do this and you, you're so keen and, and you're getting ahead of yourself Um but I just would have liked to just slow down a little bit um, and make sure that you engage with the kids because it's their game, not the coach's game. Any thoughts, thoughts on that, Andy? No, 100%. And, and even to this day, like, you do sort of, when you move possibly from, like, an age group coach into possibly, like, a senior position or you move full-time and all that sort of stuff, and you just want to, like, you're so cautious of giving something up because it's your child it's your content it's your players but realizing that you do need to work as a, as a, as a group of coaches and you can learn off everyone else but no I certainly agree that that coaching it needs to be so based around what's best for the player and if you come in off that player for a period of time to get another voice then you need to sort of have that ego to go actually I need to step off this they've got a better relationship with that coach they can go with them and I'll coach when needs be and all that but I can have a bigger impact here and all that sort of stuff but yeah, probably actually taking a step back is is really key as opposed to just because you can get totally lost in the carousel of academy football, can't you? Yeah. You can just go, oh my God, a week has passed and I have no idea what <laughs> I've actually just done. <laughs> You're like, what has actually just happened? But no, I totally agree. It's a great point. Great stuff. Well, thanks for that, gentlemen. You know, it's been a great conversation and uh, I know we've just we had one day here at the tournament at Oak and we've got tomorrow we finish off the groups. Um, I think uh, who you got tomorrow? Who Dundee got tomorrow? We've got um, Shrewsbury. We've got Nottingham Forest tomorrow. We've got Coventry. We've got Doncaster. 
So we've got four four games for the older ones. Yeah. Three three games for the younger ones. So it's a so busy day. Lots, lots of English. And Dundee United, are you looking forward to playing tomorrow? Um, so we've got Shrewsbury, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Peterborough and Man United. So ah, it's, some... it's an exciting day for us as well. Great stuff. Who are Manchester United looking forward to playing? Shrewsbury first up in the morning. So they're, they're top flying away. Yeah, moment, they're top so. of the league after two yeah. games. So uh, we're going to forget everything we just said. We're going all up defence. Win, win, win. Try and pinch up the corner at the end. Um, uh, we've got Sheffield, um, Dundee, obviously. Dundee United, is that? Yes, please. Brilliant. Well, Hope you have a, a good couple of days and I hope people have enjoyed listening to this conversation on the Go Play Soccer podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And if you have a question or comment for us, or if you'd like to take part in one of our podcasts, please email podcast at goplaysoccer.com.